0: Welcome to Inside Maine. I'm Angus King, and we're talking now during September 2020. It's National Recovery Month, a time that we think about, talk about, and try to understand better the process of recovery from substance abuse disorder. Our first guest is Melissa Skane, who is the uh, executive director of the Macaulay House, a recovery center in Portland associated with Northern Light and Mercy Hospital. Melissa, let's talk before we talk about recovery generally, about the whole issue of the pandemic and substance abuse disorder. What what how has the pandemic affected what you're seeing on the street?
1: Certainly. So when I think about Macaulay residents. Every aspect of these families' lives was disrupted, so everything from a lot of face-to-face treatment uh, switched to telehealth, Um, their children's schools closed their counselors, um, you know, every, every aspect of uh, care delivery was disrupted, um, certainly at the height of the onset of, of COVID. Um, and so their uh, recovery groups also disrupted. So many of the ways that they sought Uh, to build either recovery capacity or connection or completely disrupted. Um, Many of the families we serve, uh, mom lost their jobs. Um, You know, they, uh, so school interrupted, daycare closing, uh, their mental health services and re- substance use disorder treatment uh, interrupted and often switched to telehealth. And then it's the access to the Internet. Um, so, in sh- making sure that everybody had a des- device, and not only the, the moms, but the children. And what did that look like? Uh, the families we serve are incredibly complex, um, so you also... Um, you know, saw that a lot of people were traditionally would have in-home support, Uh, now those were um, interrupted. So, um, you know, every aspect of their world, of all of our world, was disrupted. But for people who are just entering recovery, early recovery, and with complex needs, uh, they were incredibly vulnerable. Had it not been for the advent for telehealth, I can't imagine what it would have looked like.
0: Well, that was, what, that was going to be my next question is, uh, how's it working? I mean, you outlined <laughs> a pretty dire situation.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, has, has telehealth, have you found that telehealth is, is, is useful in this situation, even in these complex uh, family dynamics and kids and parents and all those kinds of things?
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've watched is, you know, two things really being part of Northern Light Mercy. We have learned a lot about COVID, um, so learned how to, you know, so many of the social distancing, masking, hand washing, all of those um, really are hardwired and very much a part of uh, the family experience at Macaulay. Um, and we have, are grateful for the support of Northern Light. Um, <clears throat> you know, the the telehealth component, you know, right now you do see a hybrid of services. Uh, you are supporting those families with, uh, the use of telehealth, and then some that are really high acuity may need face to face, but it's a both and. And I can't imagine, uh, you know, the loss of uh, telehealth uh, being able to sustain, you know, many of the families we serve may have as high a level of care as a virtual residential uh, treatment, that it's truly external providers that uh, pro- provide, you know, targeted support for both mom and. Uh, children and without that, you know, we wouldn't have the desired outcomes. We really would not have families maintain their recovery.
0: Well, one, but you know, you're in Portland where there's pretty good bandwidth. Right. I mean, one of the real issues statewide mm-hmm. is a lack of broadband. Uh, you, you know, telehealth only works if you can if you can connect. Uh, Absolutely. And a lot of rural people, uh, even if they can afford it. Uh, have you know? They just the service just isn't there, or if it is, it's it's unaffordable. So that's that's sort of a separate issue, but that's something. There's a group of us down here, mostly representing more or less rural states like Maine, West Virginia, uh, Arkansas, the Dakotas, Nebraska, who are really working on the broadband. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do in Maine, particularly serving people, you know, outside of the communities. Uh, how about the the prevalence uh, of, of substance use disorder? It, has it gone up? Has the isolation and the lack of social communication uh, generated additional cases? Is there any way you can get a handle on that?
1: Certainly. So, you know, if I were to think more broadly, uh, Mercy uh hospital has a rapid access medication-assisted treatment uh, effort uh, in the emergency department and then uh, with seamless access to ongoing treatment in our Portland location. Uh, and we did see a period where there was a almost like a calm before a storm uh, when the pandemic initially hit. Uh, we did not have as many people coming to the hospital, as many people seeking help. Uh, that has shifted in the last, um, you know, probably three to four weeks where we are seeing um, some pretty significant uh, volume with people seeking help. Uh, Macaulay residents did not stop taking referrals at all during the uh, pandemic, um, and we reunified families uh, at in March. So, you know that whole operation continued on. Uh, constantly adapting to what we were learning uh, from uh, the pandemic, from COVID-19, but there definitely is, uh, I would say that people are uh, really high acuity. Um, For those that are isolated, um, you know, they really are um, incredibly at risk, Um, so we're, we're really trying to understand what more we can do.
0: Well, this is an important question because, you know, our our listeners are people all over Maine and and, of general population. Does recovery work? We've got to talk about getting rid of the stigma. And there are something like 20 million people in this country in recovery who are out there functioning well in their communities. So, uh, you know, are you having some success? (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Um, So Macaulay is a very disciplined program. It's a two-year length of stay. And, you know, in the last uh, probably month, uh, Senator King, we have had um, some women graduate from the program. um, And they're one of the pieces that is woven throughout the program is narrative therapy. So women write a lot about their journey um, and their key learnings around Uh, navigating the pandemic and also maintaining and uh, continuing with their recovery. And family reunification is also a programmatic goal. Um, So we really, um, we have great success. You know, we really, um, we accepted people throughout, you know, from March on and we will continue to do that. Um, You know, we um, have had very, very little variation with people exiting, um, people, um, I think if you remove barriers to care, barriers to a wide array of evidence-based treatment uh, and ensure that people are safe and their basic needs are met, the most complex families in Maine can flourish. We've proven that over and over again well
0: that's that's crucial i think to to feel like there is some light at the end of the tunnel both for for people generally but also for for individual families. now, your program is residential macaulay House is residential. Do you also have uh a, a more a, a different kind of uh outreach that that serves more people
1: yeah, so macaulay we have a program in uh, both Portland and Bangor. uh we did open a second location uh Senator King in, in Bangor and are actually looking at expansion in Portland. Um, so that really, uh, you know, serves a, a 30 families with, you know, 60 or more children involved. Um, the, um, you know, the hospital, um, you know, we have the rapid access, uh, access. So people truly in the moment, uh, can gain access to medication assisted treatment and ongoing care. Um, and we have, uh, three to five uh, new referrals every week. Um, and we have, uh, you know, over a hundred people in that, in that program. Um, we really encourage anybody who's looking for help to reach out. And if there's, you know, if, We certainly have capacity today to serve more people in that program and work very closely with several uh, community partners um, in the greater Portland area.
0: Well, if anybody doubts how serious this is, I did a little calculation this morning that given the number of of overdose deaths annually in the country, 72,000, that means we're losing about uh, five people while we're having this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's eight people an hour uh, nationwide, 24 hours a day. That's how serious this is. And in Maine, uh, we're, it looks this year like we're going to be at least at one a day, uh, well over 365 people, uh, which is uh, just tragic uh, uh, on, on all levels from the, for the families, the individuals, the community uh, as a whole. Uh, so... Is your are there? You talk about a two year program. Are there shorter term programs? Are there outpatient programs that show some promise?
1: Absolutely. You know, I think a real stabilizer for uh, you know uh, opioid use disorder is that access to medication assisted treatment. Um, what I have watched over time is certainly if you do just that and um, counseling, you will have, um, you know, some, uh, some certainly some success, it's, it's a life-saving intervention. Um, but if you really want people to um, flourish and get uh, to that place of full recovery, there needs to be that safe housing as well, safe sober housing, as well as uh, employment opportunities. Um, so we are also working uh, with Cumberland County Jail uh, to really try and understand how we can support um, people with uh, substance use disorder as they re-enter um, the greater Portland community. So, you know, I think it truly is ensuring that there's no barriers and no failure in the care, care delivery system, um, and that really... Uh, can prove to be quite successful. You know, I think there is uh, good research out there um, that these outpatient programs that are very targeted include mental health services and, men- and medication-assisted treatment. Um, with those two other components, housing and employment options, people can get really quite stable quite quickly. Um
0: well, I can I can tell you that, that one of the issues down here for me is we don't we spend like one 20th on mental health research at the NIH as we spend on physical illness research and yet in this country we're having a epidemic of substance abuse disorder uh, depression suicide uh, and I just I have a couple of colleagues who I'm enlisting on this cause but one of my Projects while I'm still here in the Senate is to try to beef up that that component because I don't think we know enough uh, mm-hmm. about what you know how to how to prevent for one thing I think that's one of the biggest uh, the biggest problems that we have. Well, uh, I'm so glad that you're there uh, uh, and that the work that you're doing is 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 so critically important. Uh, let me know. Let us know. Uh, what we can do to help. I assume that more money from Washington wouldn't be a bad thing. We've sponsored some bills on that, the bridge act and others. And, uh, but I, I know there's there's plenty more to do. Before I leave though, let's uh, talk to me about stigma. Isn't that an important part of trying to yeah. break through the, this whole issue?
1: Absolutely. And I would say that the very, the some of the biggest work that we do at Macaulay Residence is truly getting people to believe that they are worthy as humans. Um, You know, it is the amount of guilt and shame associated with uh, opioid use disorder, polysubstance use disorder is crippling, paralyzing for a lot of people. And then, uh, you know, for certainly the women I serve, it's also that significant trauma. The combination of all of that um, can be such a barrier to uh recovery uh to any type of um success or uh you know productivity as a citizen um so that is a big part of the work that we do and what i love to watch as people exit macaulay and uh share their writing they they truly write about how they do now finally believe that they are worthy and that their future is at their feet
0: that's, that's great work. Melissa Skein, thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you're doing at, in Portland and now in Bangor. Uh, and it uh, it's really making a difference in people's lives one person at a time, no doubt about that. Uh, stay with us on Inside Mamer. We've been talking about an urban-based program. Now we're going to talk to a couple of people that are uh, not in Portland, in a smaller community, also dealing with this issue because Uh, This does not limit itself to urban areas by any means. And in Maine, in some places, it's the rural areas that have been hardest hit. So stay with us. We'll be right back on Inside Maine. Welcome back to Inside Maine. We're talking today about recovery. It's National Recovery Month. There are over 20 million people in this country in recovery from substance abuse disorder. We've been talking just before with Melissa Skane of the Macaulay Center in Portland, and now I want to talk to Jennifer Small and Sergeant Matt Baker, who are out in Oxford County, uh, and they are working on this issue on the real front line. So... Uh, Jan, let me let me start with you. You heard by talking to Melissa. Talk to me about this problem in the smaller communities where you work.
2: So, in Oxford County, um, we have been very fortunate um, to not have lost uh, the connection with clients. Again, as Melissa spoke um, about telehealth, um, that has definitely been able to keep people engaged in treatment. Um, there's always the difficulty, um, as you had mentioned, in rural Maine, we do not have uh, wonderful broadband services out here. So that's been difficult for some, um, but we at least stay connected. Uh, if we can't do video sessions, we do it through the phone. Um, we did have the opportunity to speak with um, Gordon Smith, who is is part of Governor Mills' administration, and, and he did share with us that... Um, that it looks like about 10 people are uh, losing their life to overdose in Maine right now and that the number by the end of the year could exceed 500. So that has definitely kept all of us here in Oxford County motivated to um, to just keep connecting, whether it's it's reaching out through text in between sessions um, or just some way to allow the people that are, that are working really hard... To stay in their recovery, to just stay connected and still feel a part of something, um, even though they're really just spending most of their time at home.
0: So you are seeing the effects of the pandemic, obviously, but you are managing to stay stay connected, uh, either by telephone or telehealth. Telehealth is better, I presume.
2: Telehealth is, is definitely better, um, and you know, here at Common Ground Counseling, we have found a couple of ways to be creative. Um, I meet with my relapse prevention group um, in the local park. Um, the clients are fine with that. They were very excited. And we've been doing that for about three months now. And we keep our distance and have our masks on. But at least there's that um, opportunity to just kind of come together and, and be with people that um, that they have things in common with. And just that, that human connection that I think is, is so lacking um, during this period um, in our
0: lives right now. You
2: have with you uh, Sergeant Matt Baker, Matthew Baker of the Oxford
0: County Sheriff's Office. Sergeant Baker, uh, you're you're deeply involved in this. Talk to me about your engagement and, and what you see happening out there.
3: Um, since this whole pandemic started, um, what I see happening is a lot of people relapsing, um, a lot of people have lost their jobs and uh instead of keeping busy with work and things like that they've been relapsing uh and we've had a lot of um a lot of that occurring in the county
0: and uh is there any special is there any way to reach those people i mean do they come back do they reach out for help
3: uh uh... some some of the people do um I've got a, a core group of people I try to keep in touch with through text messages and, and things like that or stopping by their house when I'm in the area, um, but it's really difficult. Uh, people aren't working. They don't have transportation. Um, the internet service is really spotty in places, as you know, and um, it's just not a real good situation right now.
0: So it's all the elements of a, of a tragedy, of uh, just all of those pieces put together.
3: It kind of a perfect storm as you will.
0: Yeah, and, and Oxford County has not been spared. I mean the reason you all are sit- sitting there and have been doing this work is that uh, this is as much a rural problem as it is a Portland or a Bangor problem.
3: Yes, Oxford County has been hit very hard by the opioid crisis.
0: What about the the uh, idea of, of recovery? I was talking with Melissa that that recovery works. Do you do you all see that? Do you have success stories and people you feel like are are uh, are getting a getting a grip on this problem and, and getting ahead of it? Yep. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're both about to say absolutely we do. Um, and those right, those are the ones you know we we really hold on to in our minds because right, we need to keep our, our motivation and our optimism. Um, but absolutely, um, both Matt and I uh, have the opportunity to work with people who are, you know, two, three years of successful recovery, working full time. Um, their children have been returned to them from maybe Child Protective Services, and uh, and they're doing well. Sheriff, let me talk about the, the county
0: jail. My sense is that county jails have become sort of de facto uh not treatment centers, but uh, at least uh, emergency shelters for people that have these problems. But you don't have the resources. Is it still true that main care stops at the jailhouse door in terms of resources for treatment?
3: I believe it does. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, that that really doesn't make sense. Where we've got people that have the need, uh, they're obviously in some kind of trouble with the law, and yet we don't have we don't have the resources. The best you can do is be a detox center.
3: Correct, and there's only a couple of those in the state, which are very hard to get into.
2: And I would love to share a story about um, detox services. If that would be okay, Senator King, please, please do. I had um, a young woman, late twenties, come in just on Friday, and was is ready. She says, "Okay, let's." You know, I've called detoxification programs, and I'm not having any luck. So we started calling together, and. We reached out to one that's, you know, maybe um, an hour, an hour and a half from here in a different county. And when we called, um, the woman was super helpful and said uh, for my client to just go up there to the emergency room. Then when I had commented that she was from this county, she shared with me that um, the client would have to first, when she arrived at the emergency room, take a COVID-19 test. And then wait there in the emergency room until the results came back before admitted to the the detox unit. And when I asked about how long she thought that would take, she said between forty eight and seventy two hours. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It, exactly, because my client would be going through withdrawal, sitting in you know a waiting room for the emergency room, um, you know, food like I don't. It, it was, and I knew that that the woman certainly. You know was trying to be helpful, but just hearing that information, um, because there are two counties that they that people do not need to go through that process. Um, but because we weren't in one of them, that's what the process would have looked like.
0: Well you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is I mean if somebody is ready for help, they need it then.
2: That is correct.
0: When they're ready to say I need help and you say, well I'm sorry it'll be 72 hours or in some cases a week or two before
2: there's a slot, you could lose them. Isn't that, isn't that correct? There is that possibility. It's a good possibility. Yes.
0: So are the, are the facilities adequate? Are you able to, to handle the demand in your, in your area? Are you funded, uh, are your patients funded through main care or how, how do you operate?
2: At common ground counseling, um, we take private insurances, self-pay, or main care, um, and most of the clinicians here also have a soft spot, um, and if someone really wants help and has no way to pay for it, we'll see them. We're not going to turn anyone away. Um, but so so we're able to meet the demand, but as far as um, more restrictive or higher level services, they just really don't exist. Um, that detox services are sorely lacking, in my opinion. Um, oftentimes, when it comes to opioid use disorder, Senator, they will not take you because it, that's not life-threatening to go through withdrawal from opioid use disorder. Um, some detox services focus on alcohol or, or benzodiazepines because withdrawal from that could lead to um, to death. So it's, it's very difficult when someone... Said opioid um, has opioid use disorder to be able to find a place for them to detox safely
0: we're talking about opioids but alcohol is still a problem isn't it sheriff
3: yeah it definitely is um, it's still right up there uh, with the the opioid issue uh, but it doesn't get the attention that the opiates do
0: yeah that's that's we can't forget that I mean that's a that's still with us and still breaking up families and uh, causing violence. And uh, I remember when I was governor and would look at cases for pardons, I was struck by the number of people that were it had brushes with criminal law it involved alcohol. You know, they, they they robbed a convenience store or the Beat up somebody and it, and and they were they were using alcohol at the time. I, I I remember how startling that was. It seemed like about half the cases. Uh, well, you're seeing are you are you seeing out in Oxford County an increase of cases as a result of the pandemic?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, I've seen a huge increase in the use of uh, opioids uh, opioids uh, heroin fentanyl. Uh, methamphetamine. Uh, it's been a huge increase, uh, in the last six months. Wow,
0: that's uh, that's uh, that's depressing. That's just one more, uh, one more collateral damage from this awful pandemic, which is causing uh, so many other problems across the country. Uh, well, I want to thank you for what you guys do out there. Is there anything I haven't asked that you think our listeners should know about? Uh, coping with this problem in, uh, in a more rural area of Maine? Jen?
2: Well, I think it's <clears throat> we would be remiss if we didn't mention that we're both members of the Western Maine Addiction Recovery Initiative, and we meet monthly, and it's um, a grassroots organization of people that are in Oxford County that are very committed um, to re- removing barriers for treatment, um, reducing stigma. We have a recovery rally where we try to educate the communities that uh, opioid use disorder is a disease. Um, so that that's one important thing that we're doing here.
0: Um, one, one of the one, one of those uh, uh, matters that I remember talking with at, at various forums and roundtables on this subject getting employers to understand that people in recovery can be, and usually are almost always are very reliable employees. They, they want to work and they really appreciate it. And, uh, you, do you work with local employers out there? Because that we get back to the stigma issue there.
2: At this point, that's, that is, we just had our strategic planning meeting for WAMARI and that, um, connecting with more employers. Um, There has been some grant money that's come into Maine, and the gentleman that is administrating or whatever the program in this area uh, has come out and spoken to many of us about connecting um, people that are in recovery with him to assist in in job coaching and job placement. So um, that's pretty exciting for us to have that um, opportunity. I think oftentimes um, the criminal record Uh, can also be the the biggest factor in in people struggling to find employment. Um, But there's so many things when people enter recovery that are important to address. I mean, right down to getting um, dental work done. I mean, every day people in recovery look in a mirror and they're reminded of, um, of their days of, of active use. And so I think that that, Goes hand in hand with employment, right? And and what um, Melissa was talking about as far as I'm feeling worthy, that's just a big part um, of recovery
0: here. I'll never forget being at a at a manufacturing facility in Central Maine and uh, walking around with the owner, and he pointed out. He said, "See that guy over there? Two years ago, he was in jail on drug abuse charges and uh, or, or drug use, and uh, now he's now he's buying a house." <laughs> uh, and you know that was and, and and i just i think we need to all work and i'm willing to work on this as well uh to educate our employer community because you know once we get through covid and we get back to low unemployment we need people we can't afford to waste people uh and uh, i think we need to continue to educate our employer community that these these folks are good solid people they just lost their way but they can Find their way back, and and that's what you all are doing. Well, I want to thank uh, I want to thank uh, Jennifer uh, Small and Matt Baker, and also uh, Melissa uh, S- uh, Skein for the work that they're doing. Uh, and uh, I hope that those of you who are listening, if you have friends or family that are fighting this uh, this terrible disease. Uh, to get in touch with the local facilities, whether it's in Oxford County or Rooster County or Portland or Bangor or wherever. uh, There are people that want to help that can help, and help can make a lot of difference. So uh, thanks to our guests today. Thank you for joining us. This is Angus King. Goodbye. Today, for Inside Maine.